Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carl and Sean. Carl, it's good to see you, buddy. We were just talking pre-show. I, I want to give our listeners, before we throw to our guest, we have one of our favorite people join us today. Is, I'll let you introduce this person. But before we do that real quick, I just want to give listeners a quick little bit of backstage insight into the mind of Carlos Menares. I There is a, an interview, excuse me, a news conference at the, in, in Allen Park with the Lions. Dan Campbell's going to speak. And, and I was talking about going to see him. And so Carl's just assumed that I was going to write about Dan Campbell, another column. Meanwhile, he wrote, if I'm not mistaken, within the last week or two, that Dan Campbell is the next Hall of Fame coach in Detroit. So the level of projection there is really interesting. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it says anything at all. Just trying to give a little insight. And, you know, I thought our, our listeners would appreciate that. Hey, eh, Carlos. Yeah. I mean, I write about Dan Campbell once in a while. And I mean, I think it's you're batting about 800 on Campbell columns, Sean. So I think between you and Jeff Seidel, you've got the Dan Campbell coach appreciation award covered. Campbell's great. Yeah. I get it. He's he's fascinating and everything. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, I get it. It's hard to understand, you know, who else is on the team, you know, the other assistant coaches and players if you know if you live in a mansion in ann arbor it's hard to get down to allen park <laughs> with a little mansion i live in a cinder block so, house uh, that that's funny about that's oh, funny about the other yes. the coordinators ben johnson who you write about every week and aaron glenn who you don't think can coordinate at all and i guess we can talk about all that later in the show and because uh, aaron's defense has been has been a little bit better lately in any case why don't you bring in our guest and see if you can avoid talking about dan campbell on the hall of fame track well, I want to introduce our guest to the to the listener out there, but also to Sean Windsor, who I got to I got to send you the MapQuest directions to Little Caesars Arena so you know where to go to watch if they play ice hockey down there, Sean. This person, Helena St. James, has covered the the Detroit Red Wings to the free press for for quite a while. And uh, you should meet her. She's she's very knowledgeable about hockey. She has. By the way, Christmas is coming up, right? She has two great books, On the Clock, the Detroit Red Wings behind the scenes with the Red Wings at the NHL draft and the Big 50, the men and moments that made the Detroit Red Wings. Those are great. And I'm not I'm not BSing here. I don't. These are really great books for Red Wings fans. I mean, there's so much insight, so much fun, so many fun stories and anecdotes. And Helena, I don't know if you can break some news, but is there possibly something else coming up for Red Wings fans that you're working on? I have just earlier this month turned in the manuscript for my next book on the Red Wings, which is coming out next October, so October 2024. So people can start putting that on their holiday 2024 shopping lists. It's a curated history of the Red Wings, so more expansive on select topics and very fun to write. Again, spent most of the summer or all of the summer and into the season writing it. So so I would just also like to be described since you described Dan Campbell as six foot five piece of granite as a five foot two piece of granite. <laughs> Helena, hey, by the way, Helena is, I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to take your, your word that you're granite, but Helena is also maybe the fastest walker among beat writers. I, she's the anti Sean Windsor. I mean, he, she can get down a quarter and a ramp faster than any, I can get out of her way. I'm worried when she's coming down, it's like, Someone's barreling down on you, and I'm like, "Hey, she knows where she's going. I'm getting out of the way." So I always appreciate that. If you ever see Helen at a, a Little Caesar Arena, watch out. Grant Hill did once compliment me on my first stop, so that's <laughs> that's going in the in the bar. Oh, oh, here we go. You just turned it into a basketball podcast for Sean. You gave him the opening. No, 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 no. Helena, Helena moves. There's no question, and I kind of amble. 
No, no denying that. No denying that. You know what? I don't believe in slow starts. I, I don't start slow or finish slow. Well, speaking of slow starts or the opposite of that, the wings started so hot and now they're kind of scuffling a little bit. And there've been a few reasons, obviously, but, but and I want to ask you about hockey. Carl's has got a million questions, but can I start Helena, please? Just, just have some pity on me. Tell me a little bit about what you ate when you're in Stockholm and how that was over there. I've been, I've been wanting to ask you that. Yeah. I mean, the Swedish meatballs really are live up to their reputation, even better over there than, than anything you can get here. Toast skin, skagen as, as they call it, open-faced shrimp sandwich, just perfection. And so many delicious pastries. The cardamom buns are mm. just fantastic and cinnamon and all sorts. So it was, you know, it, it, it was a delicious, well worth it. And I think I think they have so much hygge, as, as we call it in that area of the world. That's a Danish term, right? That's a Danish term, right? It gets dark at 2.30 in the afternoon, so you have to have something to Yes. But yeah. for our listeners, and I think, how do you spell that? H-Y-G-G-E? Is that how I can yeah. turn it? That, yeah, so that term, that term, and Carlos could probably benefit from from understanding this term. It, it basically, it's there's no translation in English. It's it's close to cozy, right? It's close to it's a it's a, yeah. It it cozy coziness would be the, just just a feeling of being okay and settled and warm and all sorts of things. It's yeah. such a great idea. You you have that, some of that in your your blood, right? I mean, that's a Danish. Oh yeah, yeah. it's a Danish term, not a yeah. Swedish term. It, 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 I mean, it's it's really only some. I mean, you could enjoy it in the summer, but it's really for this time of year when it gets dark early and you're spending a lot of time indoors, you know, you just got to have candles ready and blankets and cup of tea. Well, okay. So if we're, we're going to talk about hockey you're over there, they, 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 I think they lost twice, if I'm not mistaken, when you were over there in, in they Stockholm. Did. They did. It's, they got down really- for nothing. Yeah. They got down for nothing to Ottawa, came back and ended up losing. And then the next night, they led two nothing on Toronto, and then blew that in the third period and lost three two. So, been a bit of a disappointment. I mean, really played well. It's just you know, part, partly over there, it wasn't Weimer's best game against Ottawa the first night he he played. You know, and they didn't have Vilahuso. Vilahuso flew with them on their NHL charter jet with all pod seats. Flew all the way to Stockholm and then got the news that his wife was in labor. FaceTimed the delivery and then flew all the way back. So he, I think he, I think that way you undo jet lag if you never actually right. spend any time. <laughs> that's, that, that's funny. So they scuffled there for a couple of games and came back and sort of and, and picked it back up again and played well. But then they, since they then, great coming back from Stockholm. Like yeah, Thanksgiving, yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving Eve, Black Friday, and Bo- they won in Boston. They played really, really well. And then they kind of got careless with their defensive side of things, which they just cannot afford to do. You know, this isn't the 1990s Red Wings where they can outscore any mistake they they make. And then goaltending, all three of them kind of had some ups and downs. And, you know, Huso probably more than the rest had, had some, some rough outings. And then, you know, that thing happened with Dylan Larkin. I, I think that night, you can excuse them losing to Ottawa because that was incredibly scary to see. And even though, you know, they saw their teammate get up and be helped off, you know, he didn't need to be on a stretcher. So that was very, very frightening. And then they lose him. David Perron, JT Comfer is out. It was just, they can't, you know, as, as, as good of a boost as it was to get Patrick Kane into the lineup, you can't, they can't survive not having 
two of their top centers or it, it shows. And, and David Perron is a big part of the lineup as well. Is this, I mean, what I'm always worried about with the wings is Eiserman seems like he's just got an, you know, an itch to pull the ripcord, you know, like just, Hey, we're going to sell it's, I, I, I can't, I can't take this. We, you know, we can't take a chance and see, we got to get some return on some of the pending free agents or whatever. It's just, it always feels like he, he's just looking for an excuse for that to happen. And maybe this year is different. I mean, do you think that have they gone, has he gone too far down the road with the with Kane, with the way that they've started and had some success? I mean, obviously these well, injuries. First of all, I, I don't think Steve does anything spur of the moment. He's extremely methodical and incredibly patient, you know, and I think there may be impatient amongst the fan base and maybe others in the organization. But I always remind people, it took Steve 14 years to win his first cup as a player. And that was before the salary cap. There were six fewer teams. And he had that amazing 89 draft where they got Lidstrom, Fedorov, and Konstantinov. So he knows how incredibly difficult it is to, to win the Stanley Cup. Last year, you know, it coincided with those two beatdowns in Ottawa. And by then, half, you know, a handful of players were out. But they were going to trade Tyler Bertuzzi regardless. I mean, there, were, there was no common ground on a contract extension. They weren't going to, they weren't going to keep him just to let him walk into free agency for free. Phil Peronik, that one was a bit of a surprise. I think it was just such a good offer from the Vancouver Canucks, although I think it has to it has to hurt a little bit. I mean, he's having a terrific season. At, at one point, he and Quinn Hughes were like one and two in defense scoring in, in the league. Quinn Hughes, we all know, is who the Wings could have had passed on when they when they picked Philip Sedina in draft of Philip Sedina in 20, 2018. But, you know, and Jacob Rana, I mean, the other guy he traded, he was... That obviously wasn't going to work out between him and the wings either. So it wasn't like he grew impatient and traded everybody last year at the deadline. Two of those guys were headed out anyway. To your point about this season, well, you know, it's not till uh, the first week in March that the, that the trade deadline is. So plenty of time to see where the wings are at. He's going to make the decision that's best for them long term, you know, but they certainly hope. Now, now this has been a bad stretch for them to, you know, to kind of to kind of stumble because it's just it's a relentless lead. You just can't afford to lose ground. But Steve's not gonna Steve's not gonna do anything spur of the moment or, or sell just just to sell. He's gonna make the decision that's best for the Red Wings in the long term. Well, that's what I worry about. Is I'm not saying that he, he would do a spur of the moment, but I mean to me, I'm worried that he's more of a half a glass half full kind of guy. Like he sees more of the negative parts of the team and the construction and the injuries or whatever it is, and like well. We're, and the, the wings are not, I don't think they're a Stanley Cup contender this year. I, you know, they're, just, they're not there yet. They're, I think, worthy of making the playoffs. Or they, I think they will make the playoffs, but if they're hovering there, you know, that's who they are to me right now. They're still building. But also, what you say about that 14 years is it almost kind of a stuck in his head of like, well, this takes a long time to build, you know, not that he's saying it's going to take 14 years, but with that precedent in his head as, you know, very personal experience is that like, well, hey, it takes a long time. I think what hurts has hurt the wings more than anything is just their absolute complete lack of any luck in the draft ladder, lottery. You know, like Nate Danielson from last summer may turn out to be a really good player, but just imagine if they had even gotten to pick third and added Adam Fantilli to the lineup. Like if they just had, had at any point had any degree of luck and gotten, you know, I mean, they got no slider. I mean, that's pretty good. 
Yeah, but they picked him at six. I'm saying they they haven't picked within the top three since becoming a draft lottery team. The, the highest they've picked is is four. You know, and they've missed out. Moritz Sider was a terrific pick, but I'm pointing out they they you know that worse. They don't get any shot at, at, at Connor Bedard or Aline or Owen Power. You know, any of these guys would have would have helped the rebuild a lot. So I think part of it is they have to be more patient. You know, but but Steve. I mean, it was it was interesting this past summer. He added multiple veterans via trades or free agency. You know, he clearly kind of went away a little bit from. They still want to bring in young players, but veterans are just better able to handle, you know, the ups and downs of of a season when there's a, a few more of them. You know, and then he he you know to their good fortune, DeBrincat wants to come play in his backyard, and Patrick Kane, who didn't have a tear in his in their heart when he said when he said. Detroit was always in my heart. I mean, I think that should be put on a slogan somewhere downtown. You know, <laughs> so, so he's, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so they're a much more fun team, but, but Derek is, is right every time he says out, you know, they cannot afford to take shifts off or periods off. They cannot afford to start slowly, especially, you know, and Steve said this when he introduced Patrick Kane, like, can they make the playoffs? Yeah, maybe if goaltending and health holds up, but that that holds true for Everybody. all thirty-two teams. Yeah, yeah, I think it even holds true in sports where there is no goaltender. Plug-in quarterback, point guard, whatever. Right? Yeah. Health, health is a great equalizer. I mean, what were you thinking, Alina, with the way they started off and they're third? You know, like you said, they're beating the Bruins and they're in third or fourth position at that point, maybe even higher. I can't remember. I guess it depending on the the date, but I assume you didn't assume they were going to stay at that pace, right? That they were going to come back, especially the way they were playing on the power play. That wasn't sustainable. But just overall, the, what, what was your thought watching those first 10 games? Did you did you think, oh, my, this is not just a, a eight seed, but a seven seed, but a legitimate playoff team? Or did, or did you want more time? Probably. I mean, I, I did think at the start of the season they had a chance to make the playoffs, probably as, as a wild card team. But I think what we saw early on in the season was that they've gotten much better at, and they've, they've slid the, here lately, but at not letting the bad times last beyond two or three games, you know, that they, they, they rediscover or are able to get back to the way they need to play, which is have a strong start and you know, play play with pace, dictate the pace, and they've gotten away from that. And now again, this past stretch, I mean, they have been without key players. And then on top of that, their goaltending has, has not been terrific. So that's hard for any team to overcome. So, you know, I think it will be very telling um, these last few games before Christmas and, and how they go into the new year. I mean, are they, are they you know, they have Dylan back now. Are they going to be able to, he has a game under his belt, so he'll start you know, looking more like himself, are they going to be able to recover their footing? I also think, you know, and I wrote about this last week, like Patrick Kane looks like he's about to start becoming a point of game player. Like he's, it, it's hard for anyone, especially age 35 to join the league when everybody else is up to speed. It just is even beyond coming off invasive hip surgery. It's hard for anybody to come in at this time of year, but he looks like he's getting his timing back. And now that he has the proper players to play with, I think he's going to become significant factor for them. Yeah. You know, and the, th- the other thing too, with, you know, if Eiserman likes to measure losses and how bad the severity of those are, you know, whether it's against uh, comparable teams, whatever. I mean, these, these three losses haven't been by that. They've all been one goal losses, you know, and with those injuries, I think it's pretty understandable. I mean, you don't need it to pile up, but I think Malone's on the right track with, it. I like that he keeps harping the margin. Our margin isn't 
strong. You know, it's not big. We can't afford to be lazy or not be responsible with the puck or not play too, whatever it is. You know, I think he's right. I think that message, you can see it. You know, they're not, they just don't have a, to me, they don't have enough elite skill players, you know, and guys who make a huge difference. But I like the way that this team plays collectively, you know, on a nightly basis. I think there's a lot more consistency with that. You know, I don't know if it's, I don't know what, I think Huso gets a little bit too much criticism sometimes. I think he's a good goaltender. But do you think? Um, he is. He is a good goaltender and he's being paid like he's a good goaltender, not a great goaltender. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the goals he's let in, I mean, you have to consider that the skaters have to do their job too. They can't just gift opponents some some of these shots. So it's absolutely and and Huso, it, it's too bad. He was actually he was actually putting together a, a really good stretch. He came in in relief of, of Alex Lyon in Philadelphia and and played, you know, in, in like he, he was putting together a, a good stretch. So it looked like he was getting his, his game back together. So and even I mean Reimer had a had a really good start and Alex Lyon you know, he came in for his first game in Stockholm and, and put together a really good stretch. So I wouldn't be concerned that their goaltending isn't good enough. They just, right now, they need them to get healthy. I mean, what are the odds that to, to lose two goalies in back-to-back games? I don't think I've ever seen that before. You know, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were what, another another injury away from the Zamboni player, having have a driver having to suit up, right? The, the e-bug, emergency backup goalie. <laughs> e-bug. I love that. When did that start? When did they start using that acronym? I don't remember that ever being a thing for a while. No, a I, yeah, I, I'm not sure either when, when that acronym came into play, <laughs> but it's certainly everybody, everybody likes it. <laughs> the, the, I'm curious about the game. I know we're going back a couple of weeks, but they blew the, I want to say, four goal lead against the Sharks. Oh, that was an one insane the, game. One of the worst, yeah, obviously one of the worst teams in, in the league, and they ended up losing in overtime. Do you, I mean, that was before. They started losing folks, really. But do you feel like you you were talking about the skaters in front of the you know getting getting the defense so they muff the or muffle the the shot selection a little bit, not make it so easy? But do you feel like they have to kind of outscore people mostly to win? Well, that that I mean that game was not one you'd want to judge the wings on. I mean, I'm not sure they deserve to be up four nothing. That was it was so odd. I mean, they went up four nothing really quickly, and then boom, boom, boom. Sharks come back. It was it was such a such a weird game that that I wouldn't. I don't think I, I would read too much into that one. Just tell Sean they had a little bit of bad puck luck. That's that's what he likes to talk about. Oh, puck luck, so, yeah, yeah. bad yeah. puck luck on that one, Sean. Well, your your uh, former GM there, not your former GM, Carl's my former man. That, that that was his Ken Holland. That was his <laughs> one of his favorite phrases. You know, I'm talking about puck puck luck or the lack of it. The luck, but yeah, uh, I mean, puck luck is, is real. It's it's a thing. It's sometimes you get it, and sometimes it eludes you. But. Hitting the crossbar, so to speak, right? Or the, yeah, I yeah, mean, that 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 kind of that kind of thing. Carlos doesn't believe in in luck one way or the other, fortune, whatever you want to call it, kismet, karma. He believes in hard work and discipline and, you know, not selling the team out, which he's convinced Eisenman is trying to do. I'm not sure there's much case can be made the world across for there being any karma. I, I wish there was, but I, <laughs> I, know. I don't feel like there's much evidence of that in the world in general. If, if there was karma, uh, just to keep it on hockey, the Wings would have gotten the number one pick in, in 2020 when they were the worst team by several kilometers and they ended up being pushed back to select fourth. They got to Lucas Raymond, which was a terrific pick. But my argument is they should have absolutely 
had the first pick. So, you know, the thing about the draft thing is I, 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 yes, of course you want your shot at, you know, what's his name? You know, any, any elite player. Yeah. Yeah. Bedard, any, any of them, right. These guys, I don't know where Austin Matthews was picked, but any elite player, but look at Buffalo, right? They've had a bunch of top picks. Where are they? I mean, you know, they had, they picked first two out of three years or something like that. Power two two incredible defensemen. No. Well, I mean, that's where goaltending, like they haven't, they haven't really had consistently good goaltending and that's, you know, but yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely, I mean, Derek makes that point all the time, Steve, to, to an extent that both Ottawa and Buffalo seemingly should be ahead in the rebuild because they've had access right. to higher draft picks. I mean, Ottawa has picked third overall too. So, so they, so they should have, they, they've picked inside the top three. They, they should, they should be further ahead, you know, but, but that's, I mean, that that's where like you need pieces and those pieces are hard to come by because you don't often get them via free agency. And, you know, the, the Alex to trade was kind of a, one of those cases where a player wanted to, you know, he almost forced Ottawa's hand in the destination because he, 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 he had that power, you know, and, and wanted to come to Detroit. So, so it's just, it's, 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 it's hard to build a contender that team, Toronto Maple Leafs, it's been 1967 yeah. since they last won the Stanley Cup. And they've, they have one, you know, Austin Matthews in the lineup and have struggled to get out even of, of the first round up until recently. So it's just, a, it's, it's incredibly hard, but I, I do think the wings are going in the right direction, you know, and they're going to have, keep having young players come in. I, I think, I think Simon Edmondson is, is ready to come play in the NHL, but you know, so far, so far there really hasn't been an opening for him in, in Detroit, but they have good young players. It's just, you really do need to, unless they're super elite, like Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli or such, you really do need to give them a year or two to, you know, they're teenagers when they're drafted. It's a men's league. It's tough. Helena, I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth or paraphrase, but I, I think the point is you have to, you, you, and Carlos is right too. There's winning the lottery or getting the high picks like that. There's no guarantee of anything, but it's hard to sustain winning without some luck in the lottery. Right. And, and, without, and, and hitting it in the right year with the, with the right player. It's, it's rare that you see, a team win a cup without somebody that's been taken pretty high. I mean, the Avalanche won a couple of years. No, ago. no, exactly. I mean, they need that they Avalanche need better right? draft luck. Yeah, and, and and for sure, it's just. I mean, maybe in the in the NFL you can you can get around that, but in hockey, basketball, similar. I want to before you let you go. I want to ask you about the Pistons. You should cover the Pistons. Speaking of lottery luck, but but yeah, you just you look through. Maybe it's different in baseball, football, but you, to your point. This is true in the NBA and the NHL. If you don't get lucky up top and get a generational talent, you're, you're generally not going to win. Not not win big. No, no. I mean, that's, you know, it would be nice if, or, you know, the other thing that's hurt the Wings is, you know, 2015, their first round pick, Yevgeny Strachnikov, you know, I mean, he, he exits the organization without anything return, doesn't pan out as a player. 2016, Dennis Chalowski, same thing. 2018, I mean, Philip Sedina, that was just a, turned out to be a disastrous pick in hindsight. So, so that, that, that really hurts them too. I mean, it's for three of their first round picks to not pan out at all, to not bring any kind of return it is, is, has really, you know, that, that set back the organization. It, it's, yeah, no, for sure. It slows the rebuild. And I don't want to go down the, the rabbit hole with the picks that the Pistons have, but you, 
we were talking about before we started recording, you, you covered the Pistons for a while. They're getting ready to play the Utah Jazz. They lose the Jazz. They're a game away from setting the all-time single in season, you know, single season record for consecutive losses. And you made you made an interesting point. You know, first of all, you observed and rightly so. That a lot of fans are now rooting for to lose, and and the numbers, the ratings are actually weirdly going up because people people can't turn away. They they want to watch. Carlos and I have talked about this before, right? So there's that. So they're fan base is kind of wants to see him lose, but also, you know, the players themselves, and you were making a point about, do you have empathy for what they're going through? And I'm just curious as somebody who's covered the NBA covered just professional athletes in general for a long time. What do you make of this? And when something like this happens, it's almost, that's borderline historic. Well, I mean, I, I can, similar to covering the Red Wings in 2019-20 when they were just, you know, they'd won 17 games when the pandemic put them out of their misery. You know, I guess I see it from the angle that when you go into the locker room every day, you still see that there are human beings too. And like, it's, it's miserable to lose that much, you know? So as much as any of us have sympathy for extremely rich people, it's, it's not, it's, it's not fun you know, and I and I would imagine it's not fun knowing now that fans are cheering for you to keep losing, that they want you to set that record. I, I would think that that has to be be a bit of a downer, you know. But I mean, they've kind of put themselves in in this position, right? I mean, they could have, they should have probably beaten Memphis, right? They probably should have. Yeah, they, they, um, they probably should have. They just, it just it. It starts to pile. The the psych the, the psychology of it just it becomes so heavy. Especially when you're young and trying to learn how to win. I mean, yeah, we, we, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's no, a and it's so few people, right? I mean, that's, that's where in hockey, in, in sports where there are more players involved, at least try and learn something. It's easier to learn, more fun to learn when you're winning along the way. But, you know, when, I mean, when you have such a short bench as you, as you do in the NBA, I think it can, it's just ha- seems like it would be demoralizing, you know, and then at some point, I think for all of us, those of us trying to look more like granite than, than what was it, an octogenarian accountant? Geriatric. You know, like if you, if you don't see any if, geriatric, if you don't see any rewards for the work you put in, it, it's harder to keep doing things the right no way. No question. No question. So no I have question. a funny, can I tell you yeah, my yeah. favorite Piston story? It was like 20 years ago. They were playing, they were playing the 76ers. So I was in Philadelphia and I was going to the 76ers practice facility and there was uh, traffic construction. And I waved, there was a guy trying to merge in front of me. So I waved him in. He responded by turning around and giving me the middle finger. I think it's because it's the only hand signal they know there. <laughs> so you're doing something nice and you get, and you get the bird yeah. in return. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. City of brotherly cool. love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. That's that city. Santa Claus, right? Right, right, right. Well, oh. thanks, thanks for spending time. We always love having you in, Helena, and we'll check back when it, check back in with yeah. you. Hopefully, enough. Uh, Mar- 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 times ahead for the wings. I'm yeah, yeah, you know right for now. sure. They're going to regain their footing and and and, and gain back, get back into the standings. I think you to. said I think you said Marriott times ahead, which you're accurate because when they get to the playoffs, Sean will finally come to a game if it's on the road. So that's what he's looking forward to. No, I won't. Not not unless they make the Stanley cup finals. That's, that's Carlos's show. (laughs) So, you know, yeah. Uh, I'll be yanked off the road. Sean will cover the, I'll I'll come to some, uh, you know what? It would, it would be nice to see them go far in the playoffs, not the least because 
in all the time I covered them when they were in the playoffs, they were in the West. So the first three rounds were just, you know, they play Anaheim, San Jose, Calgary. Calgary. It's just exhausting. <laughs> yeah, go, uh, going back and forth. And now they would actually stay in the same time zone. Usually by the time they got to the final in 97 and 98, finally, you have a shorter flight and stay in the, in the same time zone as Detroit. So so I'm looking forward to that. I will. I said merrier, but merrier and merrier times ahead. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Hey, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all about us, right? It's always all about us. But uh, all right, we're, we're going to let you get out of here. We're going to take a quick break. Thanks again, Helena. My pleasure. Anytime. Yeah, we'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlson Show. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. I can't believe you're making me talk about the Lions again, Carlos. I know they're the story. You know, you you wrote a good column the other day about Michigan and compiled, not compiled, but partnered up Jawan Howard and Jim Harbaugh, which was smart to do, ask some institutional questions. You know, that that would be a good subject, but oh no, we got we to gotta talk about the Lions, right? What are we going to talk about, Aaron Glenn? The defense that's been a little bit better lately. What, what, what are we doing? What, Coordinator what's of your, the year after one game. Yeah, let's do what's it. Your, what's your – no, it was two, two solid – two solid, pretty solid performances. The Bears was solid. The, the one against the Broncos was good. But are they trending in the right direction? Is your guy turning a corner? I think so. I mean, I think they're – you know, and this is – the the big thing is that they refuse to lose two games in a row. It's been more than a year. I mean, that's the kind of consistency that you want, even if you take some dips here and there and there's a disappointment and, you know, in Chicago and Green Bay at home on Thanksgiving. But they they know how to pick themselves up. You know, and that's a credit to your coach of the year, Dan Campbell and his staff. They're they're good about that. They're good about rebounding, learning from their mistakes. I mean, we just talked to Helene about that. And, you know, when you're losing, whether it's the Pistons or the 2008 Lions, I think you, I think, you know, I don't think you came to a game that year, but anyway, they, they did learn, you know, I don't know if they learned a lot from 0 and 8 other than let's fire the coach and the GM this season, but they, that's what gives you hope about this team is that they are, they've been making steady progress for, for two years now, you know, it was a little bit of a rough start last year at the beginning, but they, they had to fire a coach and they they moved on. And that's what I like about this team is that's I think that's the identity is this team learns. They know how to learn from mistakes and because you're always going to have them. You're going to have ebbs and flows and all that. Uh, and they're on the cusp of winning. I mean, you're going to be you're going to be in Minnesota. Uh, you know, I mean, just imagine them. And it's unfortunate they can't clinch the division, you know, at Ford Field. That would be really nice for the fans. But, you know, if they win and I think they're going to win. um, what a moment, you know, what a moment for for the for the fans, but also for Campbell and the players. It's been well deserved and it's not a perfect team, obviously, but it, it gives you nobody knows exactly what this team can do in the playoffs. You know, I mean, Dallas just lost to Buffalo and maybe they're not as invincible as maybe we thought a few weeks ago. So Denver was hot coming in. We'll see with a little bit of health, as, as as Helena said, some puck luck maybe. Yeah, the Lions, they're they're definitely trending in the right direction overall. You know, they just can't. I mean, they can finish all in three. I mean, who knows? But but I wouldn't expect. Yeah, Minnesota is not going to be easy. I mean, they're they're a good defensive team, and they're going to be home and they're know. down to their third quarterback. Yeah, well, but then desperate too. So and you know, I, I would not expect a, a blowout. You never know, but. 
but they might be able to muck the game up and make it make it interesting. And you just you know how it goes in the NFL. It's hard to win. It it, it just is. What's interesting? There are a couple of things that are interesting to me with what coming off their performance against Denver. I think we talked about this a little bit Saturday night. I know I I wrote about this. I want to say for Monday's column because I wrote about Jared Goff. It really. And I know this is your favorite subject, but and it's funny. I saw a stat after I wrote the column a couple of days later. It's been kind of going viral, but it's the the off, It's really all about the offensive line. That the, as they go, this team goes. It's it's not, and we see that. You can see that with your eyes, and you can see it in Jared Goff's play. You can see it in everything. But but the, <laughs> there was a great stat floating around within the last couple of days. I want to credit Will Birchfield, who works for a competitor, but let's let's credit him. There may be another somebody else that is, but go ahead. He, sure. he, he got it from too. But when when the line's in te- the line's the line is played, the line's line, offensive line is played five times this year when they've been healthy. Which is the Panay Sewell, Graham Glasgow, Frank Ragnow, Jonah Jackson, and Taylor Decker. When all when those five play, they've only done it five times, they're five and zero. Oh. They had the best offense in the league. They averaged 400 and almost 430 yards a game. Golf has a quarterback rating of 120, 121 maybe even. Who do they I mean, play? It's just I'm not sure who they play. But yeah, but there's a lot of stuff in that. It's not just a, a bald stat of just that's it. You know, I mean, no, no. But if you but if you look at the numbers, when those they've only played five times, and when they play, they're dominant. Now they have not played San Francisco's defense, whatever. But when they've been healthy. But that's pretty striking, and it and it sets up everything. It allows Ben Johnson to to do what he does, and when golf has a clean pocket, he's really really good. But it's uh, I don't want to say fragile because you hate to say you hate to use that word with any NFL player ever. But it's a delicate balance, right? If if that line's intact, they can probably play with anybody. If they're not, and golf is, we've seen we've seen what that happens. It's I mean it's built this this team is built around those five guys and and when they're healthy hey i'm with you they who knows maybe maybe they got a little magic i don't know we'll see that's the thing the one of the reasons i hate the offensive line is that it is fragile and that there's five people that have to be all working together to make that and you know and maybe one guy's not as important as another or you need a tackle is more important than a go i don't know but it's like it's too it's like balancing a bunch of you know, fragile glassware, like one little thing and it all falls apart. Like that's where I'm, I think you obviously, because we're going to have to have offensive lines and defensive lines, we can't just play seven on seven, which they should. But if you, as long as you're going to have offensive lines and a bunch of, you know, beefy dudes who got to make a form a wall. Yeah. You want them to be good. You need them to be good. But if, if that's, if that's the, the, if that's the key to your success, you know, and you wrote a really good column about Jared Goff explaining that, that when everything's good, he's good. But he's if your quarterback probably more than that, good, right? What do you think? He's, he's more than good. good. Well, yeah. Very good. But if that's what you need for, if everything basically has to be perfect with your offensive line, and that's the only time your quarterback is very good, that's a danger. That's something that, that I don't, and, and I like Goff and I, and I like his story and what he's come through and all that. I, I give him a lot of credit. But I think even you mentioned he's not Lamar Jackson, right? He's not one of these guys who can make things happen on his own, you know. And I think you know, was it Cam Newton got a lot of heat for talking about game changers and game managers, 
And yeah, he would fall into, according to Cam Newton's definition, which is kind of a little bit shaky, but game manager, you know, somebody who who is the trailer versus the truck that's pulling everybody forward. And that's the decision that they have to make. Are they going to keep trying to, does Brad Holmes have to keep nailing first and second round picks all the time to get a perfect offensive line for Jared Goff? Or do you need to look at somebody else in the future of it, do, it doesn't all have to be perfect. I mean, like Stafford was a good example was he's a, he's a very good to excellent quarterback, but he, you know, but he can make things happen on his own. And even he's not Lamar Jackson, but he can make things happen. He can buy some time. He can move in the pocket. He can be a little bit elusive just enough. You don't have to have Lamar Jackson, but someone more in that mold who doesn't have to rely on five all pros or else it's like, well, might not win this week. Well, you know, I look, Stafford has a little bit of a bigger arm and a little better mobility. And, I, and I'll grant you that just raw talent. But a couple thoughts here. First of all, we're talking about four or five guys. So 25, 24, 25 of the NFL teams every year live in the space that the Lions are operating in. There are only a handful of those guys. There's one Lamar Jackson. There's Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, although he turns the ball over too much, Joe Burrow. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. I would say of everybody else, of the game manager types, which I hate to say, but golf is among the best, if not the best. I mean, because of his accuracy and his decision-making – and and you know he's got, he's got a good arm. It's it's not a it's not a weak arm by any stretch. It's just he throws a really nice ball. Sometimes it's a little wobbly, but but his accuracy is really something, and his decision making is great. So among all those other guys, he's near the top. And I think I mean you know it's like Brock Purdy, although with San Francisco, although Brock Purdy has more mobility. But that's how that's how San Francisco's built. They're built around a really good offensive line, a great and a great defense with weapons on the offense too. And and that's the thing. If the Lions put together that kind of level of defense or the, then they're yeah, with good then they can absolutely win a Super Bowl with golf. But how do you get one of those guys, girls? That's the thing. I mean, Holmes and Campbell got here and they're like, you gotta get lucky to get one of those guys. And they saw they had three really good offensive linemen, like, all right, we're gonna double down and draft Sewell and and build around that and put and put speed and skill around. And keep the quarterback clean and go from there. And it's and it's worked. But you're right. You're right. Any any one of those guys, if Frank Ragno goes, it changes everything. I and mean, we've seen that. Shoot, when they were missing Jonah Jackson, the, the push up the middle isn't the same. They don't run the ball the same way. Right. They just don't. Those guys are so good that, and I mean, look, it's not to take away from David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. They're both talented, really talented. But I, you know, I don't feel like they had any other choice if they to, to build this way. And then you hope you find that quarterback. But you got to be careful what you wish for. It's it's hard. It's hard to find a guy like that. In the meantime, how, how do you how do you win? I, and I don't think you have to necessarily get Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow, whatever. But you know, they may have one right now in Hendon Hooker. You know, his clock has just started. They just put him on the roster, so maybe we'll see what he has. He can be in that mold too. Dak Prescott, someone like that. I mean, not I'm not talking number one picker bust, you know, or amazing Patrick Mahomes or but you know, and even Mahomes, you know, was he he was a tenth pick I think overall. I mean, I'm you, you can find these guys, and that's where I think if you want to if they want to build this team with the offensive line and this is going to be the strength and whatever. I think they're seeing that it's it's difficult to sustain. You know, you, you really are going to have to have a lot of just health luck. 
it's it's tough. And so I think maybe diversity in your approach is is a better shot, you know. And sometimes, hey, the the way it works sometimes, maybe you fall into a great defensive line player or whatever, and like, well, hey, a couple more pieces, and we really build a, an intimidating, you know, powerful defense, and you kind of move toward that a little bit more. But I think for I, I just worry about the offensive line. It's just you know, and the problem with the offensive line too is, as I've said it many times, they're the worst athletes on the field. And so when you, one guy goes down, the guy who's coming in is a backup to the worst athlete on the field. That's not good. That's, that's when you get your, you know, your Kobe Sars dolls and your, your Dan Skippers in there and stuff. And, you know, like that's, you know, uh, that's tough. That's a big step down and defenses are not stupid. They're going to attack the weakest point in that wall. And that's when your runs run, you know, running backs start getting stuffed and losing yards and not being as effective and the run game is so important to football. You just have to, I think you, you, I just don't like putting all your eggs in one basket. I don't know. Maybe you feel different. Maybe you think that's just, let's just keep doing it that way. Let's just keep well, getting, no, you know. No, I don't, I don't think they have a choice. I, I, I mean, right what, now they I don't. don't. Know, I don't know what kind of diversity, I mean, unless Hooker turns out. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get lucky. You're right. You can find a few guys like that. But again, there are four or five of them. That's it out of 32. That's it. So what are the odds of that? I mean, no, it's no, really, I'm not really difficult. About the elite guys, I'm talking about your Dak Prescotts and your Lewis. Prescott your, is you know, no better than Golf at all. He he was behind the best offensive line in football. He two can years move. Ago. He can move more than Golf. Way more than Golf. He's got he more can, mobility, he but he's yes. got more ability. More mobility, but they've had a better defense. He's been behind. By oh, the way, course. a great offensive line. He he played behind one of the best offensive line in football two years ago. And you see, it just I'd rather have Golf behind a great offensive line than Prescott. Who just, would you rather have under over a behind a decent offensive line is the question because mm-hmm. it's only happened five times that they played together. Most of the time, you you had just a decent offensive line. I don't know. I mean, I you you watched Prescott the other night in in, in Buffalo. Look, he's a he's a really good player, but I'm not going to put him with Mahomes and and Burrow and those guys. No, Prescott, not. Dak is not Dak has been Dak Prescott's had a lot of talent around him. And he's obviously made the playoffs, but he hadn't been able to do that. So I, I to me, he's not quite, he's not quite there. And and look, I understand that better quarterback, Dak Prescott or Jared Goff. Who would you take right now behind behind an offensive line or not? Right now, for either team, whatever behind the Lions. I think know, if you put Dak Prescott on the Lions right now, they're not any better. None. Okay, okay. I don't, I don't. The, right. And the numbers back that up. That. I mean, the the numbers back that up. You know. Hmm. He's just, yeah. I don't think it's just the eye test. The numbers backed it up. I don't. I don't think he's elite. He's really good. He's not elite, but he's above. He's above average. Well, sure he is, and so is golf. And he's a fourth round pick, by the way. Yeah, no, and Jerry for Dawson, sure. Number one overall pick. You can find no. You can find those guys wherever, but you got to get lucky. And the 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 way to do it, unless you get a generational guy. The way to win Super Bowls is the way the Lions are trying to do it. They just got to get better defensively. I mean, and, and and maybe they will get lucky with a quarterback at some point. But well, think about know, this: be careful, saying be luck, careful what you wish for. The draft and building the team is all about luck, right? I mean, Sam Laporte is a second round pick. That's luck. You 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 found a guy. It's luck, but it's it's informed luck, right? I mean, you know, Brad Holmes is proving he knows how to draft offensive players. 
So maybe the quarterback, and we don't know. Hendon Hooker, don't he know. could be. This no, guy might be a steal. He no, might be a great no, player. No, he might no be exactly question. who they need. No question. I mean, if they had a little bit better defense right now, they'd be they'd be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Sure, absolutely. I mean, they really would be, right? Mm-hmm. And and if they, well, look at San Francisco. They don't have an elite quarterback. They're just so good everywhere, and it, you know, and that takes time to build that way. So we'll we'll, we'll see. But teams can you can win that way. For sure. But all right, let's let's take one more quick break. Come back with Carlos's favorite thing, which I always look forward to. Sound good? Perfect. All right. All right. We'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. That time of the show, Carlos. It's your favorite thing. I always like to hear about it. I like My to hear Car- thing. happy Carlos, happy Carlos. I'm always happy Carlos. That's I'm just Carlos. That's it. Yeah, that's my favorite thing was that we were, you know, our annual little family tradition is we go to a tree farm up in Armada, Michigan. And that's it's it's a thing we've been doing for a long time. And we just pick out a tree. You can cut your own down, but we kind of the kids are older, so we don't. <laughs> We don't bother with the with the hayride in 10 degree weather. And it was raining when we went on Saturday. But, you know, we always we've kind of my wife and I've kind of pushed a little bit like, can we just go to a tree lot nearby? Our meet is about an hour away. So that's a two hour round trip. So it takes up most of the day. But every time we do it, you know, I mean, it's 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 a it's it's called Blake's Orchard. It's a cider mill and they have a big farm. We used to pick uh, berries and apples before toward the end of summer. And. It's just a nice experience, you know, with the kids and, and we get their cider donuts and some cider and I'm sorry, apple cider donuts. It's just a fun little. And every time, every time we do it, it's kind of like, all right, this is a trek. We got to go out there. We got to do all this stuff, but it's cold. It's muddy. It's rainy usually, but I always do appreciate it and how much it means to the kids and listening to Christmas music on the way there and back. So definitely, I think it got everybody more in the Christmas mood. I love Christmas. That's one of my absolute favorite times of the year. So this was just another fun memory, Sean, and and we'll see we'll see if Santa brings me anything under the tree this year. That's a that's that's really lovely. Uh, that's nice. Did you listen to Bing Crosby? Yeah, I'm sure he was in the mix. Absolutely, White Christmas, of course. How can you not? Yeah, Vince Vince Geraldo Trio. That's that's my favorite. Christmas that's my music. favorite. Yeah, Snoopy God, and the Peanuts. I, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we've talked about this before. The first time I heard skating, not the first time because we grew up with it, but. The first time I heard skating, which is the Snoopy song where he's skating on the ice, <laughs> it's just such a beautiful song. But the first time I heard it in a long time was, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I hadn't heard it maybe since I was really young. And the, then the rush and the wash that comes over you, it's its its just in your bones. It's its, it's really something. But all right, I'll be, I'll be quick. My favorite thing was, mm, I, <laughs> where was I coming back from the other day, Carl? So... Ferndale with our buddy Mike Elwick in studio over there. And I was right. I'd done back-to-back pods. I was rushing back to try to get to, I don't know, it was a kind of a crazy day, uh, to my son, Sam, who, who coaches. He had a away game in Plymouth. And the freshman, he'd coached the freshman team, and they start at 4 o'clock. And he calls me up. It's like 2.30. It's a little unusual for him to call me at that time. He's like, what time are you getting to the game? And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then I start, oh, I wonder. I bet I know what's going on. I'm like, why? What's going on? Uh, what, what's happening? He said, well, my assistant coach can't 
can't make it. He he had something to do. He's a student over at Eastern. He had something to do. And his other assistants out of the country on a break with some kind of work thing, work study thing. And so I thought, oh, does he want me to sit on the bench? Is that even, is that even, is that even possible? And so he asked me, he said, well, I'm going to talk to the varsity coach and make sure it's check out, check out with the school system. But can you sit on the bench with me? And, and I did. And I, I just, Carlos had just, I, I had helped that school five, six years ago. So I was still in the system. I, I ran, I ran home. I shaved. I uh, went into my drawer and dug out a golf shirt with the high school emblem on the, on the breast that I'd had from when I used to help coach in there and, and uh, put my tennis shoes on and race to the gym and got there right when he was just starting his pregame talk and his grease board and just walking in and seeing, seeing the board, how organized it was hearing the talk and then walking out and, and being part of that and sitting on the bench in the thick of it. I'd forgotten how much I love that how, and, and just the intensity of it. And this is a freshman game. And I don't know, there are 60, 70 people in the stands. That's it. Right. And just yeah, being on the stage, being being in the action. I mean, obviously, I deferred to him and everything, but it was it was really something that the fact that he trusted me to do that. Not yeah, it was it was really really something. Coaching, there's nothing. There's just nothing like competing. You know, I can't move. My body's broken down. I don't have any cartilage or ligaments or anything, so there's not much I can do in the way of competitive <laughs> stuff. But. But that that's not so bad. And then breaking it down, going into halftime, the, the way the kids played, the spirit. And, and my son was torn. He called me after the game, and he and he's like, God, I wish I could have you there every every day. And but I can't, and and he can't. And not only can I not, I don't want to. It's his thing. He's he's got to learn and figure this out on his own. This is I knew this was a one time deal, Carl. That's what made it so special. I knew that was it. I knew I didn't think that I would ever do this again. And I knew this was a one-time deal, so I tried to savor every second of it, getting up and yelling out and encouraging the kids, talking to them on the bench during just, yeah, that was, anyway, sorry to sorry to go on so long, but yeah, that was by far my favorite thing. No, I, I just, I'm going to remember this in my mind is you being the Dennis Hopper character to to Sam's Gene Hackman <laughs> character in Hooters, and I got a wing dinger suit in there and you know, shaving and everything, so that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we got to get out of here. Both of us have to get to Allen Park. We got more Lions stuff to do. And there's always more Lions stuff to do. Yeah, great story. Thanks, my man. Good to see you. Can you thank some people very quickly? Yeah. Well, we have to thank Helena St. James for joining us. Detroit Red Wings, the beat writer for the Free Press. And but the main person, of course, is, uh, well, one of the main people, Rob, Rob and Chan are producers. No, he is the main person. He's the main he person. The main person. We have yeah. to say that. Yeah. You could say he, he of course, he edits it and cuts us off and stuff. So sorry about that, Robin. Um, and then uh, executive producers, Kirkland Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. And editor of the Free Press, Nicole Avery Nichols. But mostly, Sean, the fans, and the listener out there. Yes, thank you for listening to another episode, Carlos and Sean. And when we'll, we'll, we'll be back next week, right? Or no, actually, for this Saturday, when do they play? Saturday, Sunday, Saturday night, Minnesota, right? Sunday night. You gonna, you, you gonna do that or no? If you have time, I do. I'll make time if you do. But it's Christmas yeah. Eve. I don't want to. I don't want to pull you away from your family. No. But if you want to okay. take a few minutes, all right. Cool. I know all you right, got a plane we'll, catch. Everybody's got planes to catch out of yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> well, we oh, that's a good it. question. Well, well, hopefully we'll have time. Yikes. We'll we'll see. Okay, no promises, listener. Sorry about that. Yeah, we'll didn't try to make think it happen. happen. You're right. We'll do our best to make it happen. If not, we'll definitely be back following the following week with more free press sports with Carlson Shaw. Mm-hmm.